Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 10th of October 2011. For newcomers, as always, I suggest you look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. you find lots of information there, lots of audios for free download. And hopefully by the time you're finished, if you're still pretty sane, then you'll understand much more of this big system you're born into and how the art of managing masses of people nationally or internationally is a very, very old art indeed and how big players have been at this for thousands of years because knowledge, especially controlling people, has never been destroyed. Believe you me, it's maybe moved once in a while, like the Alexandria Library, but it's never destroyed because people who invade countries, especially countries with more advanced cultures, they always make sure they take the knowledge with them. That's how it is today too. So it's a vast archive really of information, as I say, cutting through com, of the big corporations, the banking system, the military system, all combined together, and your political system as well, which they all gave you. And the, the, the greatest thing about propaganda is they convince you that, that it's actually yours. It's so, so quite interesting to understand that very basic point. Very few people do. However, even when they change it, uh, they prepare you for the changes, they plan the changes, they even discuss the changes at big think tanks long before you see them coming into action or even the start of them coming into action. And uh, they're prepared for pretty well everything that happens because they must guide the society as a whole into a new uh, global system. So you'll find out uh, the organizations, the NGOs, the foundations, the big international bankers, they're all involved with their think tanks and how it works uh, cohesively to, to bring you into this new world order. Totally different way of living, monitored from uh, basically birth to grave. And some countries have already been the test uh, countries for testing all of this stuff out on in different parts. Remember, too, that you're the audience that bring me to you so you can help support me by buying the books and discs from CuttingThroughMedias.com and from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check to order. You'll see how to do it on the com site. And you can also use an international postal money order from the post office or you can use PayPal. Some people will send cash, but it's all on the website how to do it at CuttingThroughMedias.com. Remember, too, they all carry transcripts. All those sites listed there, the official sites in English. And if you want transcripts in other languages for print-up, you can go into alanwatchsentinel.eu and help yourselves to the variety offered there. But as I say, this big system, nothing surprises me because the, the big boys tell you what's coming down the road and eventually you catch on. Nothing takes them by surprise at all. And uh, when you read about even the color revolutions that swept across uh, the, the Middle East and elsewhere, uh, even through Europe too, you find that they're all backed by the Western powers and the leaders and agitators were all trained, in fact, by Western intelligence services and I'll make touch on one of the, the one of the videos that are out there right now and uh, later on tonight, and put that up on my screen at, at, after the show. Anyway, getting back to what I'm trying to talk about, the fact is, you see, you're guided through the changes. Now, the changes that they've been talking about are happening now. 
They say it'll happen for the next uh, 30 to 40 years. Uh, upheavals, great upheavals worldwide in all societies before they can bring in this new, this perfectly uh, ruled world order. So we're not going to get any peace whatsoever, obviously, from now until eternity, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, it's all planned that way. As I say, the big think tanks, the ones that work for the banking systems, the ones that advise governments, all are all, all on track with the same uh, particular ideas of how this is working out from now, as I say, to the year 2040 and beyond. And what kind of societies they plan to have in the future. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. Over the years you're, you've been programmed for pretty well everything that's to come up in the future. In fact, you simply don't know it. You've watched hundreds of television shows. You've watched um, the news. Many folks watch the news every single night of their lives. And that upgrades you. It upgrades you like a computer upgrade and a program to what's coming up. Even though you don't consciously uh, remember perhaps some of the topics, but you, the terms get sunk into your brain uh, in a subconscious fashion. And so when actually you hear it again years later, it seems quite natural that these things are actually happening. So you're programmed for all the big changes to come. And for those who are honest with themselves, uh, even with a, a partial brain working, the media's been telling you for years where we're all headed because... We've had nothing but bad stories forever and ever, basically. And even worse, since this big conglomerate, this economic union, uh, came into a single parliamentary structure, a new Soviet-style system, with the obvious intent, even by the guy who was at the head of it now, uh, admitting that its intention was to el- eliminate national sovereignty altogether. And, of course, you go back further, and Karl Marx talked about it, and the guys that gave you your present economic system talked about it, John Maynard Keynes. They knew they were setting up a structure for the future, and it would go in stages, and we're going through the next part of the stage of the Keynes talked about. He said he wouldn't live to see the, the Bretton Woods Part 2, and you're, you're living through it now as they go through this pantomime of uh, borrowing, or actually borrowing from the bankers, putting the taxpayers down as collateral, basically, or, or guarantors to pay it off, and then using their tax money uh, to, to pay off loans, and then throwing it, supposedly, at this big black hole in Europe. They can't even describe what it is. All the experts come in, and, they, and you can't find where any of this money that they're throwing at Greece, for instance, actually goes. Don't you think that's a bit odd? I mean, it's going somewhere, but where is it going? Who's accountable for all that cash that's sinking every other country? And what's the outcome of it? Well, they actually achieve their objective, and they actually say this too in a lot of documents from the Council on Foreign Relations that will bring deeper integration, meaning complete integration, economically uh, through the Legislative Assembly as well. All the laws will be combined to be the same laws. Uh, they even want their own military. They've got international police on the go. And uh, meanwhile, they're decentralizing what they used to call the old nation states uh, down to communitarianism, where all the ready-made non-governmental organizations who they get funded from the government, actually, and from, your, from uh, the big foundations are already trained to take over the functions 
that the state used to provide reluctantly. It was always reluctantly, even the National Health Service. But however, this is what it is about. It's austerity. It's a whole uh, shebang, as they used to say. Uh, the whole way we're going with this, and we're seeing the fallout of it now. Nothing, is, believe you me, nothing is a surprise to the big boys, including the backlashes that they get. But they always put out their own people to lead uh, the the um, the revolutionary sides. You don't understand that revolutions are the key to plan change. And in my lifetime, I've watched the the sexual revolution. I've watched all the different revolutions that came along. And they were all social, well, uh, social revolutions, and they were the most changing of all uh, revolutions, the social revolutions. For your way of thinking, what becomes the norm to be taught in schools, what becomes politically correct, uh, these are social revolutions. And uh, they always start with little protests, so they used to do in the old days, um, with small groups. But now, of course, with the, 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 the big Marxist groups have had, they're all over the place and so many different factions of them, they all come together. They call it networking and they come together for their common uh, causes today and show up. And it doesn't mean that everyone's bad amongst them. It simply means that uh, there's a lot of people being led up the garden path because the big boys want these conflicts to arise and bring us all to our knees. And we'll think we've won something, and in actuality, you've gone into a more Soviet system worldwide, just like the EU already has. Tonight, in fact, I'll put a link up uh, where, in, in, for instance, in, in the EU, this EU has its own uh, system of, of safety, um, Department of Safety, and they've banned balloons for children, things like that now. You can't have that. In, in case a child somehow inhales the balloon, and um, and kills itself. I don't think it's ever happened, but uh, they're going to make sure it could never possibly happen, even in a cartoon. But they're taking away all your rights to even explore anything as a child, which makes you into a little uh, zombie character. And, of course, that is the perfect citizen of the future, uh, the Orwellian type who does what they're told. They've no um, individualism at all in them, and that's what they want for the future. It's not a pretty picture indeed. And even the Club of Rome, the ones who helped design the whole course, they were given the, uh, the, the, the task of finding some system to bring the world together as one, to fight something. And they thought about all the different things they could fight to save the world and bring us all together to fight in some enemy. And they came up with global warming, climate change, famine, and disasters, and all that kind of stuff. That was their job. So they came up with that, and that became written into the UN law, basically. And we're, we're using all of these techniques dreamed up by think tanks. Now, as I say, we're going into austerity, and we've already seen the first part of austerity kick off a few years ago because they had riots in other countries in Europe too, including Greece, to do with the cost of living going up before they really hit them on the austerity drive. And it started off with truckers in different countries and disputes at borders and trying to get their various produce out or into countries. And uh, now it's going right down to trying to bankrupt the countries and then seeing every country in the world now is going to join in and bail them out. And that's, that is the goal, by the way. That is the ultimate goal of this crisis. And as well as to bring you into an austere way of living. It's a kind of, um, it's a paradox, isn't it? They tell you to, to be austere, spend less, uh, eat less, and all the rest of it. Uh, and yet you've got higher taxes to pay because of all these de- loans that your government's borrowing and, um, and giving away to the, to the bankers and to military uh, escapades. 
And they're also telling you to consume at the same time because you're going bankrupt. The whole country's going bankrupt with its produce, and you can't do both at the same time. So they're creating a kind of schizoid mentality for society where the individual, most individuals are pretty confused as to what they should do. Uh, and and, and the strange thing is, as it happens to be, uh, when people are confused like that, they look, for, they look to the very ones that they're meant to look to, the experts, to tell them what to do. And they follow, because most people are followers, you see. They've been trained from birth not to be a thinker and to be a leader. They've been trained to be followers. That's what school is too. And school is your preparatory system for all propaganda that will follow. It's it's a necessity for the kind of propaganda you're going to get down through your lifetime. Now, there's an article here. It's high school students shout anti-government slogans during a protest March Tuesday in Athens against the economic austerity and planned education reforms. Now, when the IMF comes in, I've always said this before because they'll tell you themselves in their own history uh, that whenever they come in, they take over the books of the country and they slash, first of all, the healthcare system and then they'll slash uh, often a lot of the civil service and, and, and Greece certainly had a lot of civil service. But uh, and, and the services too that your tax money are supposed to provide, they cut them and cut them and cut them to pay off debts. And but it's always the healthcare is the first to go. And in some countries, you'll actually find when things like tuberculosis break out in worse numbers. And this has already happened and happened in Kosovo and different places when the IMF came in after they destroyed most of the country. Um, then. Things like tuberculosis sprung up, not because it was becoming more contagious, it was because the people who had it were getting no treatment, so they couldn't get the treatment anymore or antibiotics because of austerity measures. There's always another reason for things happening than the one that you're left. You see, you're actually left to come to what you think is your own conclusion, but, uh, but it's, that's the way it's intended to, do, to be in all propaganda. And the media, of course, being in the hands of a few media barons across the world, means that, that all information is consolidated into one big monopoly, really. And I don't think there's any difference between them all. I'm sure um, that the, the big barons are actually um, really under a big king at the top, put it that way. They're all working for the, the same boss to make sure you get the same propaganda. Anyway, it says here, so far the evidence is strong, this idea, the, the idea of expansionary austerity, they're calling it. Now, so now you've got expansionary austerity on top of uh, quantitative easing. Uh, and all these terms. Now, the part of the terms, the reason I give you these terms too, is to, these are, these are parts of propaganda, uh, giving you new terms all the time. Same in technology, constant upgrading in new terms, which takes your mind away from thinking for yourself critically about anything at all. And most of your time is learning the new terms and trying to figure out what they mean and so on. So far, the evidence is strong that this idea doesn't work, but it's severely undercutting the economic recovery in Europe, where it's been an important influence on policy, especially when it comes to heavily indebted Greece. The notion that you can simultaneously slash deficits and stimulate growth is a very hopeful way of looking at the world, but unfortunately it's not based on anything ever seen in economic history, says an economic forecaster Peter Berezin, managing editor of the Bank Credit Analyst. Now, Berezin suggests the fate of Europe depends largely on whether that region's leaders will let go of their stubborn infatuation with expansionary austerity or fall out right over the edge of a financial precipice. Think of this idea as a bizarro Keynesianism. Instead of supporting a stumbling indebted economy with enough public spending to sustain demand until the private sector heals, government is slashing spending. 
The theory is that this shows that this show of fiscal discipline uh, unleashes such confidence amongst consumers and businesses that they spend and invest more, boosting growth. Well, it's never worked in the past as far as I can see, but, but it's all hogwash anyway because the whole idea of professional uh, expert-led economics is, is, is nonsense. It's nonsense. Utter nonsense. Whenever an average person can't understand something uh, and they have to go to university to learn something as basic as basic as uh, mathematics or simple arithmetic even, then there's a con going on, you see. And believe you me, if all these experts had been experts in the first place, none of this would have happened. None of it would have happened. Obviously, obviously, nothing, would have, nothing of this would have happened since they all worked for the big banks and government. But no one knew it was going to hit them. No one, not one single one of these experts knew. Oh, come on. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back cutting through the matrix. I don't know if you've looked through a lot of the big think tanks documentation because they're given the, basically the task of looking to the future to see how the reaction will be amongst the public when certain things are introduced. But they all have the same global theme, the multicultural aspect, the free trade, uh, free movements of goods and labor across borders. All The whole kit and caboodle is all in every one of their, their, their lectures or talks or whatever they put up on their own sites, the PDFs. And there's lots up there too if you go into RAND uh, and, and different companies that work. And I've got a whole stack of them again at cuttingthroughmaze.com. If you go into the archive section, you'll find lots of stuff. So nothing comes as a surprise. And back in 2007, uh, from the, mil- the military's own think tank to uh, basically project into the future for preparedness, uh, the, the one for the Defense Department for Britain and NATO uh, came out with uh, a document, a long, 90 pages in fact, of the future uh, flash mobs uh, coming, uh, people rioting over food, including across Europe, and uh, even using um, different technologies for communication and a constant battle of, of, of technologies to try to prevent these things from happening. But in reality, when you understand both sides of the story, there's only one puppet master at the top, um, then you'll find this is supposed to all happen to bring society to its knees. So it'll be quite natural to go into a new system where you have to, you will have no rights and you'll think that's quite natural for safety and peace. And that's how the young are to be trained that are coming up right now, going through these big changes and the coming riots. But they talked about the flash mobs and even the different technologies they'd have to use on the public, uh, including neutron bombs if it came to that, in fact, to keep the system going on, on uh, mass dissidents uh, and massive crowds and mobs. So there's nothing surprising me at all about anything that's happened since then. Uh, this is all part of the agenda. We must all go through these incredible changes. And they already have their experimental basins uh, set up in different countries, uh, testing different parts of austerity, uh, p- different parts, like Scotland, for instance, is, is really cradle to grave, all monitoring of every child, everything about them as they go along is just incredible. I might put a link up tonight to show you how it happens and the programs they're using with funding from the Carnegie Foundation and others. But it's, it's just astonishing to, to, to see that the whole future was mapped out and the coming uh, riots were mapped out too. 
and, and even backlash against banking too as they start slashing back on different things like healthcare systems, etc. Now, last Friday, the head of the Bank of England came out too, and uh, it's, it's, it was quite interesting to see uh, his article in the paper. It says, an entire system of global trade is at risk. You know, Now, what trade is there really? Uh, we send soldiers outside to, to kill people so that private companies can go over and plunder and stake their claim and to get the taxpayers here, give them new refineries for nothing and stuff like that. That's really what's happening. And it's a new feudal system. Remember, Carl Quigley said a feudal system is overlords, etc. There's no such thing as democracy in a new feudal system. And the Club of Rome said, too, that democracy would not work. There are too many competing parties. And I agree with them on that part. I looked at uh, just one of the, uh, the far left's, um, all the far left's organizations attending these Wall Street uh, uh, parades, etc., and I think every Marxist, like, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, special interest groups of, of all shades, colors, dialects, everything, genders, you name it. They're all networking together, you see. So anyway, uh, an entire global system of trade is at work. Next month's G20 meetings must go beyond the usual rhetoric and confidence in the Eurozone's banking system has to be restored through recapitalization of its banks. Now, in other words... Uh, they want the, all of the, the banks, the private banks in the Eurozone, just like the US and in England, to, to get fully funded once again and start from scratch uh, by using taxpayers' uh, money, grants to them, free grants to the big banks to get them all kicked off again. They're determined to bring everyone into utter poverty. That is the start of the new system. But it says here, Sir Mervyn King, Governor of Bank of England, this week called for the financial, the current financial crisis, the most serious since the 1930s, if ever, and justification for a further £75 billion of quantitative easing. Uh, you know, which means inflation. It's printing presses. Since Sir Mervyn cited the chaos of the interwar years, it seems appropriate to quote Winston Churchill in the give one of these uh, speech-written things of Winston Churchill that's of no consequence, really. Anyway, since we are at the, just such a moment again, a little more than two years ago, global leaders were happily congratulating themselves on having avoided the mistakes of the 1930s, thereby averting a depression. But I now appear, they already had the depression in a good part of Europe for long before that. But it now appears that the difficulties of 2008 were a foretaste of what was to come, with the European banking system again on the verge of collapse. It's always on the verge of collapse, eh? There is a sense that politicians and economists are out of options and that governments and central banks are powerless before events. The best of the cavalry has been sent in a battle and it comes back in tatters. The fiscal armory has been exhausted. The support offered by the boom in emerging markets such as China and India over the past two years seems to be on its last legs. But there is the small rifle fire of the central bank printing presses left to defend us. Well, Canada's ones now. They print their money in Canada over in Germany. <laughs> Anyway, it has become often, uh, obvious for some time that we are caught up in an extreme financial crisis. The extent of its severity has acquired greater clarity in being described by the government of the Bank of England. Never before has a globe financial system been so interlinked and integrated, which means that problems in one part of the world are capable of causing severe stress almost everywhere else. So, in other words, because of the mistake of the private banks, the whole world's got to change and suffer. Back with more after this break. Thank you. 
You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Read an article from the Governor of the Bank of England and says the problem is not in Britain, which despite the appalling legacy of debt left by last government, is doing the, of most of the right things, but mainland Europe, where lack of foresight and willingness to act, confusion of counsel, lack of clear thinking, are indeed everywhere we hold. We can but hope that self-preservation will eventually force governments into corrective action. Now, what corrective action are they talking about? Uh, it says, polit- uh, politically unpalatable though it would be, Britain may have to stand ready to participate in the process of similarly supporting its own banks. So here's the, the banks at home bailing out banks across the whole of Europe, and now the taxpayer, who've lost all the cash into this black hole that they can't plug, you see, by throwing money at it in Europe, what they start giving ca- more cash grants to its own banks. This, that's the solution for it, right? Once more dip into your pockets to bail out the bankers at a time of deep public spending cuts and swinging tax increases will be to most people anathema. And for UK banks, it may not be strictly necessary. So it's not really necessary, but uh, they're going to do it anyway. The Chancellor George Osborne insisted yesterday that they were well capitalised and liquid, yet, like it or not, we remain joined at the hip to Europe, especially the case through the banking system, which is highly exposed to the Eurozone's inner tortures. If a plan of mass recapitalization, recapitalization is to work, it has to include everyone good as well as bad. For countries and bankers to start squalling amongst themselves about who needs to be bailed out and who doesn't merely risks accentuating the paralysis. So they're all going to get more bailouts, all the banks, even the ones that, uh, at home again. So you've got not only the ones across Europe to, to bail out, but the ones in your own home, if you still want to call yourself a home, or unless you've just really given in already and says we're really a European now. <laughs> There's, there anyway, there's some sugar in the pill. This is a priest that already exists with the Royal Bank of Scotland, which pays $320 million a year for a promise by the government that will provide £8 billion uh, of new capital if it's ever needed. Now, 80 now odd percent of the Bank of Scotland, the Royal Bank of Scotland, is owned by the British government. <laughs> so they're using taxpayers' money to bail it through. This is a kind of insurance policy which we would use as a model for a wider recapitalization of European banks, a way of underpinning confidence in the system without actually having to put up the money to do so. But uh, it goes on and on and on. Anyway, they're going to bring all this stuff up at the G20, supposedly. It's all done before them. They just go to eat and to meet the, the, the high-class whores that we all pay for, by the way, because we do. The taxpayer pays for the whores. They must always have whores at these meetings. I've known some reporters who've, who've got in uh, and got into these places, too. One, one hotel in Britain, they, they actually put in heart-shaped beds just for the occasion. Heart-shaped beds. Yeah, it's all in the taxpayer, yeah. Yeah. And the horse too, of course, male and female. Yeah. Anyway, that's the real world that you live in. And in other words, they're going to keep going on with this nonsense with the money uh, until they get, uh, because what they're really pushing for is a, one authority across the whole world to decide and manage all the, the currency of the whole planet. And that will also eventually lead to, and they, they say it themselves, uh, world governance. It's part of world governance. If you read all the different PDFs from CFR and all the different institutions of finance, they want world governance. Now, another article, too, goes along with propaganda and indoctrination, is how much of your own money, again, is spent on finding ways to coerce you into doing things, if you were rationally sane, you wouldn't want to do at all. 
And if you are rationally sane, then they want to alter you until you co- you just accept things that come down the pike in your direction. That's not really good for you. But if everyone's doing it at the same time, you'll go along because most folk do that. They get along to get along with the rest of the herd. Managing identities. His researchers from Northumbria University are among a team of academics sharing in a £1.36 million grant to examine future technologies of identity management. So it sounds fairly, uh, identity management. Professor Pam Briggs, Dean of the School of Life Sciences in Northumbria, will be involved in the three-year imprints project. Interesting. Imprints, that's how they, what they say when they imprint something, Pavlovian style, in your brain. You're imprinted. Which will be led by Professor Lisbeth van Zunen, one of uh, Loughborough University, alongside colleagues from Dundee and Essex. The project is funded by the Engineering and Physical Sciences Research Council. An additional grant has been awarded by the Department of Homeland Security in America to the Pacific Northwest National Laboratory to simultaneously conduct a study in the U.S. As is identity management, public responses to identity technologies and services imprints. Project aims to assess how and why the UK and the US public, listen to this, will engage with particular future practices, services and technologies of identity management while resisting others. Now you understand the terminology they're using here. They don't want to be too clear. Most folk won't read this. Look at the headlines and put a picture on it and that's all they'll see. It says, iris and full body scans and face or voice recognition have already become well-known practices. And there's been a lot of resistance against that. So it's all about your resistance and how to overcome resistance. This is what it's about. It says, but innovations like implantable chips. This is, you know, this is like your governments and Homeland Security folks sponsoring this. Innovations like implantable chips, order scans, online object passwords, and mobile identity sharing are on the horizon. It is unclear whether and why members of the public will embrace these innovations or reject them. But we'll see, government wants you to take them all because this government is in charge of all this stuff. Northumbrian aspect of the project involves sourcing futuristic scenarios from science fiction. Well, it's all the stuff you've seen in sci-fi movies about the, the disastrous future you're all to go into and academic literature, and then developing stimuli to use with focus groups. And the focus groups have always been used in marketing to find out ways to get round people's prejudices against whatever, wine or whatever it is they don't like, you know, to trigger thinking around identity management. See, your identity is all about you, obviously. And people are generally protective, or they used to be protective about their identity. It's called privacy. And you need privacy to have a sanity in you at all and to find out who you are, and then you're very confident with who you are in, in a world of privacy. Professor Briggs says, I'll be working with focus groups drawn from different populations, including young people, older adults, and refugees. to Talk to them about what identity management means to them, and we'll be looking at intergenerational differences in what is acceptable and unacceptable in the Big Brother world. Did you, this is from your government and, and Homeland Security. Because they want to bring everything in until literally you're in or- Orwell lands, basically. You're in Ingsoc. The aim of the study is to develop a clear sense of the identity taboos and desires and work with industry and government to use the desire space, desire space, they call it, for development. Professor Van Zunen, Chair of Media and Communications at Lowborough, who is leading the project, added, there's a particular paradox between the eager sharing of personal details on social network sites 
and the deep anxieties about, for instance, biometric identification or a national identity card. They're trying to find ways to make you want to go along with everything you say. Like you did with all the suckers who jump into these free programs and give the NSA and everybody else all your daily info. In this project, we aim to gain a better understanding of such anxieties. It's an anxieties. It's, it's not uh, indignancy you've got. No, you're, you're anxious about not joining and throwing your, your world up there, your whole personal world. And anxieties and appetites. And understand the way citizens will respond to new identity management technologies. That's your chips and all the rest of it. Remember they said implantable chips, I think, back there too. Services and practice in order to promote trustworthy and pleasurable processes of identity verification. It's true, they can give you a bitter pill but make it awfully sweet so you don't mind. Yeah, that's the idea. To achieve this understanding, the researchers will work with stakeholders from civil society and government, security and commercial sectors both in the UK and the US. The project brings together experts in design, computer science, political science, media, psychology, sociology, and risk management, and findings will inform future government and security policy on identity management and its implementation. So they're going to implement all this stuff whether you like it or not, but this have to find ways to stop all resistance to it, as well as provide resources for further research. So we always buy our own chains because they're using your tax money to build the chains for you. So that one day they say, well, why don't you stick this in you? Life is, and it will, it will get really bad in the future. There's a lot of rioting to come down the road. An awful lot of rioting and poverty and misery and crime will escalate too. And uh, they'll, they'll, they want to chip us all and so they can keep track of every single individual. That's really what they want to do. And find ways of, to overcome your anxiety about it. To make you want it. Like, well, Facebook. Yeah, yeah. quite simple, eh? And an FBI director, another article, intelligence will have to use the lone wolf provision. Uh, FBI director Robert, Robert S. Mueller, the third toast, told Congress Thursday that the two controversial provisions in the, in the 2001 anti-terrorism law, known as the Patriot Act, will be especially important for adapting to the threat of domestic radicalization. Now, domestic radicalization is, is part of what you saw happen in England, but just spontaneous rioting uh, because of the conditions and everything else. And the same thing is happening now uh, with the protests with the various Wall Street things, which they actually want to happen at the top, because they're already wanting to transform into a new system of money management. Uh, And believe me, the banks will not suffer from it either. It'll sound so wonderful until until you really think, and the banks are still in charge. But it won't sound like that on paper. But anyway, so, that, so it's important to adapt to the threat of domestic radicalization and the challenges of a wireless communications world. Both Mueller and Matthew G. Olson, director of the National Counterterrorism Center, told the House Select Intelligence Committee that U.S. citizens' residents, inspired by groups like Al-Qaeda, but lacking any actual contacts uh, that intelligence agencies could track, present a serious national security threat. So in other words, the, the people who were inspired by groups like Al-Qaeda there was a CIA-created organization in the, in the beginning. Um, apparently, they're becoming heroes of people, so they're trying to claim here to get these laws through. That's probably the greatest challenge that we face, Olson said. For such instances of so-called lone wolf attacks, uh, the Patriot Act included a provision that allows investigators to apply a special court, uh, to a special court for surveillance orders and suspects who are not connected to any terrorism organization. The language is one of three provisions within the law that lacks permanent authorization 
and then Congress passed PL 112-3, a four-year extension of the language which faced opposition from civil liberty groups in May. It's to give them the right to spy on anyone at any time uh, in deeper ways than they normally spy on you, which is all pervasive pretty well. Mueller told this panel that the FBI hasn't used the loan rule provision, but predicted that will change. So they're going to uh, really bring it in, and um, it, it's just going to go the whole way. We're, it, we're living in an awful system, as I say, as we go through changes, and they, they're not going to lose con- they're determined they're not going to lose control at the top. They know the changes that are, that are coming. They know the reaction of the public. Uh, th- above them, again, the one group that controls both groups, uh, want all of this to happen. Uh, they want the protests. They want to, to guide the protests. And then you get the G20. Oh, we're listening to you. We're listening. We feel your pain. And yes, we need a new system. And we'll all go happily, supposedly, into a new system of, well, pure hell. <laughs> That's pretty well it, isn't it? The U.S. drug policies, too. U.S. drug policy will be imposed globally by a new House bill. And it says the House Judiciary Committee passed a bill yesterday that would make it a federal crime crime for U.S. residents to discuss or plan activities on foreign soil that, if carried out in the U.S., would violate the Controlled Substance Act, even if the planned activities are legal in the countries where they're carried out. And it's Bill H.R. 313. The Drug Trafficking Safe Harbor Elimination Act of 2011 is sponsored by Judiciary Committee Chairman Ripson Lamar Smith from Texas and allows prosecutors to bring conspiracy charges against anyone who discusses plans or advises someone else to engage in any activity that violates the CSA, the massive federal law that prohibits drugs like marijuana and strictly regulates prescription medication. Under this bill, if a young couple plans a wedding in Amsterdam as part of the wedding, they plan to buy the bridal party some marijuana, they would be subject to prosecution, said Bill Piper, Director of National Affairs for the Drug Policy Alliance, which advocates for reforming the country's drug laws. The strange thing is that the purchase of often smoking marijuana while you're there would not be illegal. But this law would make planning the wedding from the U.S. a federal crime. So don't plan anything in the U.S., right? The law, also, the, law, the law also could potentially affect academics and medical professionals. For example, a U.S. doctor who works with overseas doctors or government officials on needle exchange programs could be subject to criminal prosecution. A U.S. resident who advises someone in another country on how to grow marijuana or how to run a medical marijuana dispensary would also be in violation of the new law, even if the medical marijuana is legal in the country where the recipient of the advice resides. If interpreted broadly enough, a prosecutor could possibly even uh, charge doctors, academics, and policymakers from contributing their expertise to additional experiments, like the Drug Decriminalization Project in Portugal, which successfully reduced drug crime, addiction, and overdose deaths. The Controlled Substances Act also regulates distribution of prescription drugs, so something as simple as emailing a friend vacationing in Tijuana, some suggestions of where to buy prescription medication over the counter, could subject a U.S. resident to criminal prosecution. It could even be something like advise them to where to buy cold medicines overseas if you got a cold, that they'd have to show ID to get here in the U.S., Piper says. So it's just getting, we're getting down, you see, to the totalitarian, real nitty-gritty. And not, not kidding, you have there's so much stuff uh, from other countries, to, to, and literally the monitoring from child to grave with all these agencies is just incredible. Hundreds of agencies. All involved, all about you. As, as you know, the only way you could st- stop this system is literally slashing about 99% of all government. 
and all their agencies. I'm not kidding you, because really they're, they're just perpetuating self-work programs. They keep coming out with, with new work programs for themselves all the time. And it always takes more and more rights away from you. And uh, that's the way it really is. That's the way it is. Now, cancer vaccine warning. It says, um, uh, meet the Gardasil girls. They're from Florida, Wisconsin, Texas, Tennessee, New Mexico, New Zealand, and Australia. Uh, there's Savannah from Ohio, California from New Zealand, and Christine from Washington State. They're just a handful of the girls whose pretty smiling faces peer back from the website at sanivax.org or sanivax. What brings them together? Suspected serious adverse reactions to cervical cancer vaccine, Gardasil, and the fact that they were all perfectly healthy prior to receiving the vaccine. Savannah was 12 when she got the vaccine. Since then, her list of symptoms included vision problems, twitching, as a nerve disorder, numbness, uh, memory loss, trouble concentrating, confusion, brain fog, can't find the right words, trouble breathing, sleep paralysis, can't move upon first awakening, and hair loss. Um, her mother spends almost every waking moment trying to warn people. Her mission is to make sure no one else has to watch their child go through the traumatic, life-changing events her daughter has experienced. Then goes through all the different symptoms of the different ones and what happened to them. Uh, it's awful, really, but it's this standard uh, reaction to these kind of vaccines that they give you. And as hair loss is very common. Uh, severe fatigue, uh, chronic fatigue is, is, is normal too. Uh, pretty well constant diarrhea from then on. Um, muscle spams, chest pains, rib pain, rapid heartbeat, dizziness, vision problems, uh, brain fog, and hair loss. Uh, some of them, of course, die. Some women actually die with the two years young girls. So I'll put this link up tonight, and it goes on and on with more and more data and information. It's quite interesting. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. And in Finland, uh, they've just agreed, the, the government's agreed there to compensate and, and pay the medical costs, which will be ongoing for life probably, for the children who came down with narcolepsy after receiving the, the free flu shot, you know, the H1N1 flu shot, uh, pandemics. And uh, they've got convulsions, lots of them, uh, as I say, narcolepsy. Uh, cataplexy as well, hallucinations, uh, and paralyzing uh, physical collapses, according to the Finnish research. So uh, this is your wonderful big system, big brother at work as they do us all in. And now if these ones came down with the most severe effects, believe you me, the rest of them the one will be lower in IQ, all the other people too who got it as well, because that's really the intention of a lot of these inoculations, to make you more pliable and not too bright. It's easily managed then through the big changes they're coming down the pike. Now, is, is Ken there in Virginia? Is Ken online? Hello? Yes, Alan. Uh, I agree with you that everything's all scripted and doesn't really make any difference who, who's a, a nominator elected for president, but both controlled by other people. But uh, the, the uh, situation is that there's dissatisfaction with the Republican candidates and uh, I have forecasted that uh, Governor Bob McDonnell, who has said he would be willing to serve as 
as vice president, uh, he is, doesn't have the negatives of, of, of uh, Rick Perry or Romney. Uh, he's uh, he's uh, uh, young, uh, good-looking. He makes a good speech. He's a campaigner. He's he's done everything he can to get approval from the Bilderbergers. He's uh, reduced uh, a deficit of, uh, of some four billion to a surplus of of two billion in, in Virginia, and so uh, 65 percent approval. Of the, uh, he, the public doesn't know anything that's wrong with him. He got, uh, uh, of course, we know a lot that's wrong with him, but uh, I think that the Bilderbergers will uh, bring him in as a as a uh, the presidential candidate because uh, to to uh, solve the the uh, dilemma between uh, Perry and and Romney that uh, no, nobody really really likes. And uh, what what do you think of the possibility that if another senator or a governor uh, started the, the ball rolling, uh, that uh, between now and, and uh, January, that uh, this would be possible. It's always possible, definitely possible. And as I say, it wouldn't matter if you brought a pygmy in, you know. Uh, it wouldn't matter who it was from across the planet. As long as you come into the same system, nothing changes. Because, you see, the system rules over them. It rules them. And the system, the system that has never belonged to the people, not for an awful long time. And, and he knows about the Bilderbergers because we, and I'm, I'm sure that he's had face-to-face conversations with, uh, Jay Rockefeller, yeah. with, uh, Eugene Graham, uh, with, uh, uh, with Henry Kissinger, uh, individual face-to-face conversations to get approval, even though he hasn't been to Bill or Bilderberger conference, but, uh, they, they're not going to go for, for Rick Perry. He's got too many negatives and, and, uh, and, and, uh, 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 Bob McDonald doesn't have all these negatives. So I think that the, he's the, he's the perfect Bilderberg candidate as I see it now. So, uh, that's. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find out pretty soon enough too when, when they have their, their next meetings as well, who attends. So we'll keep our eyes on that. But thanks for calling. From Hamish Marcel from Ontario, Canada. Uh, remember to help me keep going here by donating and buying the boats because I don't get sponsored. I don't want sponsorship. And um, from Asian Self Frontier Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your God's go with you.